Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Chang, who's a third-year resident at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Brian is originally from Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. He completed college and medical school at the University of Pennsylvania, and he's interested in peripheral nerve surgery. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jenna. So it'd be great if you could start by giving me kind of the big picture overview of what your program's like at Georgetown. Sure. So it's a academic, it's a, in a big city, and it's a very broad and diverse program. What's really nice about our program is we're really the only program in D.C., so it allows us to have a huge, huge breadth of training kind of practice. So we have three main kind of sites or three kind of divisions of our training. The first is that our major Georgetown University Hospital. It's where we do most of our big like breast recon, craniofacial, peripheral nerve, and lower extremity. And then the other third is at our trauma center, which is Washington Hospital Center on the east side of uh, D.C. It's a level one trauma center. We take all the major hand call, face call, you know, a huge breadth of consulting services from cardiac and vascular, ortho, neurosurgery. And then the other third is kind of like a mix of everything. We go, we have dedicated hand rotations, children's, VA, electives, cosmetic, you know, gender affirmation. So it's a very, very diverse program, you know, across all DC. And, you know, it's only been, you know, two and a half years so far, but I've really, really liked it. And can you kind of give the breakdown of across the first three years, how much plastics experience you get? Yes, that's actually one of the huge things I thought was a big kind of pull or attraction of this program is it's very heavily focused on plastics. You know, early on, my intern year, I spent, I think, four months on plastics. You know, as an intern, kind of two at our major trauma center, two on our lower extremity rotation at Georgetown. The other eight months were spread across the kind of core general surgery rotations including a month on anesthesia and emergency medicine. And with the other, I guess I'll be, you know, six or seven months on general surgery. And then as a second year, we spend one month on ICU and one month on burn. And then the entire rest of the time is plastics. So, you know, we get a good amount of plastics exposure, which is really nice because those tend to be the busiest rotations as an intern and it allows us to be a very efficient intern. also allows us to kind of meet our attendings, the rest of the team, as an intern. And then once we're a second year, we're really kind of expected to be kind of full force into plastics um, aside from those two months. And then third year, it's entirely plastics as well as fourth, fifth, and sixth. And so you mentioned in terms of sites, there's those two main ones that you spend about a third and a third at. And then for those other rotations, you mentioned the VA. So what are some of the other sites you go to? One of the probably the kind of premier ones, which is really, you know, one of our probably favorite rotations is all the residents is Union Memorial Hospital, which is the site of the Curtis Natural Hand Center. So it's a huge outpatient and traumatic hand center. You know, has a huge cachet for all the hand trauma in the area, for hand replants, complex soft tissue injuries. It's staffed by, I want to say, maybe four or five plastic-trained hand surgeons, as well as maybe an additional five to seven ortho-trained hand surgeons. We spend two months there as a second year, and two months there as a third year. And it's an incredible experience, not just from, you know, as a junior resident, being able to field 
emergency department hand calls and being very efficient at seeing hand consults in the ED. But then with full spectrum, kind of routine bread and butter, carpal tunnels, trigger fingers, outpatient hand surgery, as well as, you know, all complex hand trauma. You know, I think my like last day of rotation there, we did a, you know, hand, basically a form level replant, did multiple free flaps for upper extremity coverage, all the kind of, you know, really unique SL ligament recons, Dupuytren's recons, Vascar recons, a lot of really cool complex surgery. And then in addition to that, we have full access to a cadaver lab where we have upper extremity, lower extremity, and even um, head and thorax cadavers that is open to us more or less 24-7. And we can use that time, whether we're on call or, you know, if we're interested, you know, in between cases or things like that, to practice, basically. And um, we'll bring attendings up there to go through cadaver cases. So that's probably our, one of our premier kind of other rotations. We do a fair amount of pediatric plastic surgery at our at the Children's National Hospital. We do the VA. There's George Washington University, which is another more academic-based rotation. And then we have a decent amount of time, our fourth, fifth, and sixth year, where it's aesthetic slash elective slash focus, where, you know, any time really, which even if there's an off day and not even on those rotations, we can work with a number of private practice cosmetic surgeons in the area to um, spend a day with and also have that dedicated months to rotate with them. So that's, I guess, the, the last third. Since you already brought that up a little bit, how do those kind of elective rotations work? Are there a certain amount of like elective months per year? Or is it more when you're on a rotation, you just kind of have the freedom to see the cases you want to see? How does that work? So we have we do have dedicated aesthetic blocks. And then, you know, again, it changes, you know, it changes every year, which is actually probably what's nice about our program is that, you know, depending on what the rising seniors kind of choose and what they think is best for their education, you'll see from year to year that the actual uh, rotation schedule changes. So for a while, there was a month during the fifth year where residents would routinely do some form of international elective where they would go to South Korea or to Taiwan or do some kind of other international, basically, you know, a series of international commission trips. And that was more or less, you know, one of the electives. Now they've kind of changed it where it's really, you have elective time, mainly your fifth and sixth year where it's truly, truly elective and you can arrange really whatever you want. If you're particularly interested in a fellowship that allows electives, some people will do that. Some people will, again, do a purely fun one where it's international Others will try to find if they have a local plastic surgeon or even someone else, like a dermatologist or an ENT or OMFS or oculoplastics, will set up a month with them. So there is, you know, it is set in stone where you have actual time to create an elective, but how you use that time, we actually are given a lot of free reign. Is it usually like one month in your fifth year, one in your sixth? Yeah, it's simply one-on-one, one, and that's, again, on top of, you know, dedicated aesthetic rotations. What's really nice about our program is all the major university or major, major hospital rotations are very junior resident run, and a lot of times we'll see the senior residents are kind of there to help, again, be that extra kind of safety blanket for the junior resident who's often running the service, but that senior resident is in the position where they can look at the bigger picture of the overall patient's clinical course and what's best for the patient kind of overall as opposed to the technical details. And then we'll come in for the major free flaps or the major major cases, 
But then if there are, you know, it's a lighter OR day and it's cases that are, you know, more easy to be handled by the junior residents, we'll often see the senior residents using that time to figure out and reach out to some of the prior practice people and or any of the other cases at any of our other sites. And we'll say, hey, can I go check out this case? And that's totally okay for them to do that, which is nice. Are there any independent residents or fellows at any of the sites? At our main sites, no. There is a fellow at the Children's Hospital. And there are fellows at the our dedicated hand rotation at Curtis. But when we're at our major trauma center, which we take all the hand call, there are no fellows. So by and large, for that kind of the bulk of the major Georgetown and our trauma centers, which is more or less two-thirds of our experience, no fellows, and only at certain rotations we have a fellow, which is really nice because it means that the vast, vast majority of our training and the focus from the attending standpoint is on training the residents, which for a resident standpoint, I think is really nice. And can you talk a little bit about the research expectations and then also like the support that you're able to get for your research? Research is something that I've actually been pretty involved in and interested in. So, you know, I think I've actually had found a great support system. One of our, actually our assistant program director, Dr. Kleiber, does a lot of peripheral nerve surgery. We have a major lower extremity center and wound center at Georgetown where we actually perform a lot of the lower extremity amputations. And something that's been kind of more popular in plastic surgery in recent years is managing pain post-amputation. So things like regenerative peripheral nerve interfaces and target muscle renervation. So, you know, we do a lot, a lot of TMR, and that's probably the bulk of, you know, at least right now, what are my research, most of my research is on. In that sense, you know, I have a, I feel like I have a ton of support. You know, it's kind of unfortunate. I had a, I had a ton of research meetings lined up from like Toronto to Chicago, Las Vegas to Kauai and things like that. And that all got canceled. But again, it was still nice to do a lot of the recordings and things like that. And if I were to go to those, those again would all be covered. We are allowed to take time off for conferences that is aside from vacation. It's not like we have to use our vacation time for those conferences. We do get reimbursed. So from that standpoint, I feel like we are very well supported. You'll find that we have attendings who are specialized in, again, complex craniofacial, microsurgery, lymphedema, gender affirmation, peripheral nerve, brachial plexus, facial reanimation, all the niches within plastic surgery. So I think, again, if you're interested in it, I think there is plenty, plenty of opportunities and support. I would assume, like most programs, you probably there probably is an expectation where at some point you probably have to, you know, do some form of research project each year. But I think from the standpoint, if you are interested in research as part of a way to augment your kind of overall learning experience as part of residency, I think you know you'll be finding that you're very very well supported here. And then one other thing is we also do have research fellows who are really good and honestly probably the best thing about them is them kind of nagging you to be like hey you know you have this deadline coming up or you know hey you have these final revisions that need to be done and they'll help you do some of the tasks that you know the data mining the kind of compilation aspects of putting together a paper and that way you can focus on the big picture things of what research questions you want to ask and how you want to tackle them so i think overall i think from top to bottom and very well supported from a research standpoint can you tell me a little bit about call? So it changes a lot. Again, I would say I would break it up again. It's really based on that a third, a third, a third. 
as a real quick thing on that other third, when you're kind of on like the VA, aesthetics, electives, hand, it's pretty minimal, you know, it's kind of, which is really nice. You know, even when we're on at the hand center, um, at the, at Curtis, for every one weekend that you're on call, you'll have two or three that you're off. And for all the other, like, you know, electives, you're really not taking any call at all, which is nice. At Hospital Center, which is our major trauma center, that is where we take the bulk of our call for our junior residents from a two to a four in that sense there. The five and six are excluded from that call pool. It is in-house call Monday through Thursday, and then Friday through Sunday, it is home call. That call mainly insists of, we have a lot of very kind of sick patients where we, you know, we'll have a lot of flaps, we'll have a lot of cardiac consults, vascular consults, ortho consults. So it's a very busy from a consulting service standpoint. It's a very, very high volume where we're easily doing up to, you know, 10, 12, 15 surgeries in a day where you often have to check on them post-op. So that's why, you know, it is better to be in-house for that. I think it's appropriate. We take 100% of the hand call there. So all both soft tissue and um, fractures we handle. One of our faculty members there actually trained at Curtis, um, which is, again, a fantastic fellowship. So, you know, we have a great, great exposure to hand trauma there. And then face call there, we split it with ENT and OMFS. So it's, you know, a third of the face call. Actually, our program director, Dr. Baker, is craniofacial trained and will do all the craniofacial trauma for those cases. So that's how the call works. Again, the bulk of your call, again, it's, you know, as with any call, it's kind of hit or miss. But I think overall, it is still highly educational because we get a lot of very complex consults from other surgery services. And then we have a slew of nice craniofacial and hand consult coming through the ED. Through our the Georgetown side of things, it's again, much less because it's not our trauma center. The Georgetown service split to mainly the outpatient elective, craniofacial, peripheral nerve, and breast and micro cases, in which case the team there really just takes call for face trauma or face lacerations, and it's typically more just face lacerations, and that is never really too, too bad. And then the other side of it is our lower extremity service, in which case we often do have, it's again, it's, you know, that's actually because I'm the chief of that service right now. And it's basically a plastics three. And then I have five second year residents across plastics, vascular surgery, general surgery, ortho surgery, and then a couple of interns. And there, you know, we'll have call for mainly, again, lower extremity kind of consults. So I know that didn't give a great answer, <laughs> but basically, lo and behold, I don't think call is actually surprising. I think it's very well supported. I think it is highly educational and very loaded on the front end of things when we're a two and a three. We are only in the call pool as a fourth year resident over at our trauma center for a couple months out of the year. And then again, for the rest of the time as a fourth year and then as a fifth and a sixth year, not taking primary call at the trauma center. So overall, I think we have a great exposure to hand and face call. It's educational, and it's not overbearing from a standpoint of the work-life balance of call. And when I kind of like try to give advice to med students who are interested in plastic, it's not the end-all be-all, but, you know, I think there are a lot of the kind of day-to-day things of residency that oftentimes make or break your experience because it's oftentimes those little things like 
how residents get along with each other, how residents get along with attendings, what the call schedule is, what the work-life balance is. That kind of changes kind of your morale and your experience. And, you know, you can see how in talking to other residents, how different situations can easily be better or worse for residents. So it is important. (laughs) Sounds like the way that it's structured for your program, you feel like is the right balance of, you know, heavy when it needs to be, but educational. And then it kind of eases up as you become more senior appropriately. Absolutely. Again, and I'm not not to say I'm like, and again, there's still so much that I need to learn, but I feel like because I was doing, I did a lot of call the second year, I think it makes you feel a lot more comfortable as a third year, you know, and I think then doing that makes you a lot more comfortable as a fourth year and so forth. So I think, I think I feel very comfortable in triaging things, evaluating things in the ED, understanding general workup for almost all of the major consults that we will get as an inpatient for sure. And I think having that front loaded allows you to then think more now as a, you know, as I'm kind of going through my third year on a lot more really um, kind of hammering down all the technical steps and, you know, actual options for surgical or medical management. And then will eventually allow me to then focus on not just, you know, once I kind of hammered on all the inpatient things, really look at things from an outpatient and more holistic for you as well. With the elective time, you are able to do some kind of international trip if you want, but it's not necessarily something that like every resident does. Yeah, you know, it was something that was really popular kind of when I was just starting out as, you know, as an intern. I know the cool thing to do was to go to Seoul for a month. And again, I think, you know, it was kind of nice because they would uh, rotate with J.P. Hong. And, you know, it was kind of a nice program because our chairman is like, you know, has a lot of connections internationally. And it would be nice kind of, you know, to see how a totally different system does things. I think now, given the current climate, it's kind of obviously been on hold. But, you know, I think it's really up to you, the residents, and that's what's nice. It's not something that's forced upon us. It is something that if we want to do, it can be facilitated and actually facilitated in a very nice manner for us. And if we choose to do something else, then, you know, if we have a good option and say, hey, we want to do this kind of rotation with so-and-so, I at least I haven't heard of any residents having issues getting that approved. And you mentioned you do spend some time doing those aesthetic rotations. Do you have like a chief resident cosmetic clinic? Yeah. And, you know, also it's one of those things where there is a chief resident clinic. Basically, they are allowed to book surgeries that is still as staffed by an attending. But it's at, I think, again, a discounted rate where the surgeon's fee is waived, where the patients still have to pay for the facilities and the anesthesia fee. So it allows you know, residents at least to book surgeries on their own with the supervision of an attending. As an intern, we have an injectables clinic where beginning as an intern year all the way through our chief year, we have a set supply of neurotoxin and fillers that we can use on patients, again, supervised by either a chief resident or by an attending. And I think that gives us a very nice exposure to that side of aesthetic surgery. And you did mention a little bit about gender affirmation. So can you tell me more about that experience? Yeah. So again, these are more rotations that we do as a four, five, and six. But one of our attendings, Dr. Del Corral, who is at one of our hospitals that's currently in Baltimore, does a lot of gender affirmation. He actually gave a grand rounds for us just a little bit ago on everything from facial feminization to phalloplasties to vaginoplasties to body contouring and everything. So he does a lot at MedStar, which is the kind of the overall health model overseeing Georgetown. 
in uh, our, our Baltimore location. And then he also is starting to come down, at least he's trying to come down to um, Washington, D.C. to expand that practice. Um, some of our other attendings will do a component of gender affirmation, whether it's mainly just uh, masculinization or, or feminization, but it's really our one main attending, Dr. Del Corral, who does almost full-spectrum gender affirmation. There are, I believe, some private practice attendings who we can rotate with, but that is more of a uh, four, five, and six level rotation. And what area of plastic surgery would you say that residents come out with the strongest experience in? It's tough to say. You know, I think that's, that's really kind of the benefit of this program is that it is, you know, it's not like we're doing deep flaps 10 a day, for instance, you know, where we're just like, or that's you know, all, we, all we do. You know, we do plenty, plenty of breast-free flaps, you know, plenty, plenty where I don't think anyone from our program needs a breast microfellowship. On the other hand, we also do a ton of very complex lower extremity in patients who have these complex diabetic wounds and super calcified vessels where we're doing very complex free flops for lower extremity salvage. We have a huge exposure to hand, craniofacial. So I think, again, I don't want to sound corny, but you know, we, we have a very, very nice broad exposure to everything. You know, it's hard to say any one thing. I think what's really unique is, you know, our exposure to probably the combination of hand and lower extremity. I think, again, we have, you know, a really, really unique lower extremity experience with both salvage in complex free flaps for limb salvage, as well as a plastic surgeon who does all lower extremity amputations and does them from a very functional standpoint with target muscle renovation full efforts at providing a functional stump to ambulate a prosthetic. That's definitely really, really unique. But, you know, we have attendings that do lymphedema surgery, again, peripheral, complex peripheral nerve, gender affirmation. So we certainly get exposed to everything, you know, and that's, that's the kind of nice about our program. I feel like we get very well trained. I think, you know, certainly there are some fields in plastic surgery where you need a fellowship regardless but I don't think there is certainly any area that we are lacking where residents feel, say, I definitely, definitely need a fellowship for this. And how would you improve your program? So one thing that's nice is we are really the only program in D.C. And also MedStar is kind of this overall health organization that is expanding, you know, into, into Maryland, into Virginia. So it's super encompassing from a geographic standpoint. And that's really, really nice because it gives a huge kind of uh, scope of training. But man, it makes traffic tough. <laughs> so it makes traffic tough. So sometimes, you know, D.C. traffic can be tough. And there's no any single, again, I love living in D.C. I actually live in Northern Virginia, which is just across the river. It's a very quick commute. But, I, you know, I think that if we could somehow make, you know, some centers have just one single hospital, makes it really easy to commute. I'd say that's maybe the one kind of small little upright that I have, but it comes at the benefit of then being able to see so many different places, you know, in different sites across the kind of D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share? Honestly, again, not so much a perk, but I think, you know, it's awesome. I think our attendings are fantastic. One thing that I think is a huge selling point, I think all the residents get along really well. You know, we often kind of hang out or all buddy-buddy, and it's nice to be able to get along well with the, the residents that you're working with. But I think what's so nice is just having attendings that, you know, you constantly, again, one, teach you a lot. You know, teach you, are always exemplary teachers and great with their bedside manner, but also 
understand like the stresses and understand the ins and outs of residency where if again they ask a question you don't know and you say I don't know it's not the end of the world you know they will help you with things they'll crack tons of jokes in the opera room and honestly just fun to work with we'll often do get-togethers at their houses they'll do happy hours after you know cases and I think as an overall general perk is I think the quality of life and work-life balance and just general kind of morale program is really, really nice. I think it's, you know, I'm on a very busy rotation where, you know, we're routinely kind of operating until eight, nine o'clock at night, but I can't say enough of how fun it is just because of how enjoyable it is to work with, you know, my co-residents and my attendings. I think that's probably like the biggest perk is just at every single site that we work at, there is not a single attending that um, I do not love working with. Can you tell me a bit more about your chair and your PD? So our chair is David Song. He is fantastic. He actually was a former chair at University of Chicago and then came down. Plastic surgery at Georgetown is a department, so he's the department chair. He is actually now also the interim chair of the general surgery department as well. One thing I like about Dr. Song relative to, I feel like, some other kind of chairman is he still operates a lot. And I think that's what's nice because, you know, typically you don't come up chairman unless you are really a leader in plastic surgery. So he teaches you a ton in the operating room, teaches you a ton in clinic. And what is kind of super rare is how approachable he is. And he makes a point to say that anyone in the operating room, anyone in the clinic can, even from a medical student to the circulator to the scrub tech, can say, hey, you know, I have a question or, hey, I'm concerned about something. And, you know, he really practices what he preaches. I feel like he is very, very approachable, will often reach out to us and just give us a call and say, hey, you know, Brian, just, you know, how are things going? You know, I hear you're up at this rotation. I just want to see how things are going. And, you know, it's really unique that I think you have a chairman who seems approachable and he really, really is and also operates at a high level, at a high volume. So that, you know, it's not just, it's not like he's just kind of buried away and like administrative chairman, you know, paperwork. He operates at a, you know, very, very high volume and also is very involved with the residents. So he's fantastic. Our program director, Steve Baker, who is one of our cranial facial attendings, he is an absolute riot. He is one of the most fun attendings to work with. He is the one, probably the one attending where you kind of see him and he almost always lights up your day because he always gives you a big smile. He makes you really feel like he's excited to work with you. Even when I was, you know, a second year doing, again, some like complex earlobe recons or scalp cases or, you know, orbital floor fractures, you know, he was super excited to work with me as a brand new second year resident. Great teacher, great resident advocates. So he's great. And then our assistant program director is Dr. Kleiber, who I'm, you know, very close with from a research standpoint. And... I think the thing about him is, you know, he is just absolutely brilliant. He leads, again, for our didactic sessions every um, Thursday. We do grand rounds and for about two hours. And we have basically resident-led education. And he oversees that. So what's nice is it kind of puts the onus on the residents to prepare the educational materials. But he kind of listens in. And then the way he kind of listens in and then explains things He's kind of like one of those guys where you'll spend like hours trying to read something and try to understand it. And then in like five minutes, he, you know, explains it. That makes perfect sense. So I think 
all three of those people kind of play a different role and are all highly involved, all highly approachable, all highly, you know, fun to work with. And I think, you know, again, a program always starts, you know, from the top. And I think it's a great leadership and really no complaints I've ever had. Can you tell me about a time when you were another resident, like brought up an issue to the leadership and how they responded? As MedStar continues to expand, our scope of practice is really, really expanding. And we'll see that, especially at, you know, our trauma center, we are suddenly taking all these consults from, you know, we're doing pec flaps and sternal plating, like, you know, basically almost every day. We're doing rectus femoris flaps for groin almost every single day, you know, and it's super busy. And for a while, you know, it was just a single intern and a couple of junior residents on that service. And I remember just being an intern, I was like, wow, this is crazy how much like, you know, because we had to consent all the patients, do all the dressing changes, see all the consults, post all the cases, things like that. And it was eventually, you know, I think what was nice is the attending saw like, wow, like our intern is just way overworked because there's just too much stuff to do now that we're expanding. So we brought that up to leadership. They now have, we have a nurse practitioner who helps out with a lot of the outpatient kind of clinic stuff and can help on the floors. We have a new system of how to kind of post cases and schedule cases and get block time and things like that. And we have a second internal service. So even just having another person and getting, you know, working with GME to allow a second person on that rotation, at least from what I've heard from the residents around that service now, it seems to be running so much smoother. And we've been able to flesh out a lot of the kind of just general hospital inefficiencies because our attendings stepped in and helped us navigate that system. So I think they did a really good job with that. And we're very, very responsive. Do you foresee any changes in the leadership in the next few years or in the faculty? I think we're always expanding. I think it's kind of cool. It's, you know, Dr. Song joined uh, a couple years ago now. And ever since then, I feel like he's added on one or two faculty members every single year. The number of sites that we're rotating at increases each year. And what's nice is it just gives us, again, so much more breath. So I think that's probably the change I see. I think we'll see that we'll be taking slowly more and more of the referrals. We actually just hired a former grad who went to Chango Memorial and is doing mainly brachial plexus and facial reanimation. We're trying to rebuild, build up again our lymphedema. And again, I can only imagine all the other kind of spots and, you know, faculty members he's going to try to bring on. So it'll be exciting to see. I think if anything, it's only get better because we'll have more diversely trained faculty members that will be able to augment and really complement our entire educational experience. Was there anything else you wanted to add about the relationships amongst the residents? You know, there is the resident quiz bowl or something like that for ASPS tomorrow. And then basically I was just texting, you know, basically my team and we're all saying, all right, well, who's buying pizzas? Who's bringing wings? You know, so like, you yeah, know, we're going to get together for that. I think we have a great working relationship in the hospital. And what's also nice is I think we have, at least me personally, I feel like I have a lot of close friends within the program that we'll hang out with outside the OR. And now I'd like to hear a little bit more about how residents like live in D.C. So do most people own or rent? I'd say most people rent. Yeah, I think it kind of changes on, you know, the resident comment. I think right now where most of us are in our lives, we're kind of we're renting. 
but there definitely are a couple people that own. And mostly houses or apartments? Both. Again, what's kind of nice about this is, I'd say probably two-thirds to three-quarters of the residents will live in D.C., in which case you're typically living in an apartment. There are a couple of residents who have families, in which case they can live either in the suburbs of Maryland or Virginia, which, again, sounds really far away, but easily is just like a 15-minute commute, and it's pretty easy to have a house there. I personally have an apartment in Virginia, which is nice because it's a lot cheaper. So that was an easy choice for me. (laughs) And I may already know the answer to this, but is it necessary to have a car? Yes, you do. Um, You absolutely do, just because of how far our rotations are apart. You can make your way around it. You can metro, depending on where you live. You can bike, can walk, but that would be to certain rotations. But because we're all over, you definitely need a car. What kind of things do you like about living in D.C. or the DMV area? I like it a lot. Uh, I think the food seems fantastic. There are so many different kind of ethnic cuisines that I've tried. You know, they always have you know frequent restaurant weeks. They're always opening up new kind of bakeries and eateries, pop-up gardens. They have a lot of nice kind of like the Michelin star restaurants that even on a residence I'm trying to slowly kind of check off. And then in Virginia and in Maryland, again, a lot of other nice like kind of food hubs. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, I came from Philadelphia, which also had a decent amount of green space and outdoor activities, but there are a ton of trails, like hiking trails, biking trails. Great Falls National Park is a 10-minute drive away from me, and there are, you know, so many different trails along that that I'm almost there almost every single weekend. You can be in downtown D.C. and do a lot of kind of inner city things, but then easily be able to step out and do a lot of outdoorsy kind of hiking, canoeing rafting, things like that, is what makes it nice. So that's most of what I wanted to talk about today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? Yeah, you know, I'd say again, it's tough. You know, I think especially this year, it's tough because students don't have the opportunity to rotate and things like that. The one thing I think, you know, I kind of did when I was a med student applying is put a lot of focus on Things like, okay, what kind of, you know, research papers are coming out of the program or what faculty members were there, you know, even things like doximity ranks. And that certainly stuff, again, for, you know, certain people is really important. But I think what is even more important is understanding, like, the day-to-day stuff, the day-to-day in and out um, of residency really matters. And part of what makes residency, I think, so enjoyable is, again, is kind of, again, what is the work environment like? You know, do you like working with your co-residents? Do you like working with the attendings? When you're actually in cases, are you doing the case or are you retracting and watching the attendings do the case? And are the attendings actually teaching you how to operate? And are they teaching you how to prepare for cases? You know, I think the best way to do that is to try to talk to as many residents as possible. And I think it's tough to see, but I think I remember when I was on the trail, kind of after a while, I could kind of tell, you know, which residents at which programs were truly, truly happy and enjoyed their experience and which residents were trying to kind of put on a front and save face and say, yeah, I like this program without really being able to give good examples and stories of why they like it. So I know it's tough, especially now, but for students, if they can really try to ask the residents and 
really try to gauge, you know, how enthusiastic residents are and how passionate they are, that kind of gives a gauge on if the residents there truly enjoy the program. But otherwise, I would say there are a ton of great, great programs. And it is important to think about, you know, what are, you know, does location matter to you? Does work-life balance matter? You know, does city versus, you know, suburbs matter for you? It's all those, honestly, sometimes the little things that kind of go into your overall quality of life, because it is six years that I think should not be overlooked in making the decision. Because I think it's a lot of those little things that make the day-to-day fun, that makes residency overall, at least for me, really, really enjoyable. And if students want to find out more about your program, how should they go about doing that? Again, I can give my email address. You can find either MedStar Plastic Surgery on Instagram, find myself on Instagram, or more than happy to answer any questions um, through email and then or set any phone calls. So my email address is B as in Brian, L as in Lee, Chang, C-H-A-N-G, 714 at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Instagram or Georgetown Plastic Surgery on Instagram. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Awesome. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.